we would like to warn you that this episode, we discuss our mental health journeys. Suicide is mentioned. Therefore, this episode may not be suitable for all listeners. Please see our show notes for resources if this is triggering for you. You know, and when I actually use some escalators, which is very rare, but when I do, I'm like, yay, fuck me, I've used an escalator, it's fantastic, you know. And most people just go up an escalator and just go, oh, it's an escalator. <laughs> I'm just like, hey, party at the top, you know, I've, I've got off this thing and it hasn't chewed my feet up and I, and I stood up right all the way. <laughs> Give me some notes and next I just, time when I'll stand at the top with some pom-poms. <laughs> oh, please do, let's do that. <laughs> So welcome to um, this episode of the podcast, uh, the Full Stop podcast. But this month we are talking about mental health and all things to do with how we can support ourselves, really. I think, you know, we've all, I think, well, talking from my own experience and I know that um, Berenice and Michael have sort of mentioned it in passing. We've all had brushes with mental health, I think we can euphemistically say, can't we? So, um, yeah, who wants to start then by talking about mental health? Uh, um, not the cheeriest subject, but I think it, it does need to be talked about. I think I see it time and time again in our community, people struggling with the uh, enormity of not being able to have the family they wanted. Who wants to go first? <laughs> <laughs> We're all sitting here looking at each other. Sarah keep talking it's a really really tricky subject and I think it's one that we we certainly need to do an episode about mental health because every episode we've done really in some way touches on that but we've been very cautious about it um even if we may have been more public about it on our blogs I think that's probably fair to say and it's it affects us all in so many dramatic ways and one of the things that I've always said about the the podcast is kind of the area of mental health expertise lies very much with with you Sarah um I could attack you a bit so I feel very unqualified to talk about it but in terms of experiences of mental health then then yes I mean my my story is um failed IVF miscarriages so I've had a lot of issues with that um in my family um but also me personally. And I know that um, I've been, well, not I know that, of course I know I've been through counselling. I've been through counselling a lot. I've been through medication. I've also found ways to cope. So I think with IVF, then there's an absolute fear and phobia of different things. There's roads I won't drive down anymore because they go to the clinic. Um, it's quite hard because I went to Bourne Hall. I live in Cambridge. It's just not far away from where I, I live. I do have reasons to go that direction, but it's bloody hard to do it. Um, and I have to be very careful when I do stuff like that. And of course, there are anniversaries. My life is littered with them. We spoke earlier on before we started recording and I have anniversaries last week. It's also raining here torrentially. I just realized it's raining. If you hear rain fall in the, in the back of this um, podcast, then it's not atmospheric stuff that Michael's been adding. It's, it's rain. Um, and I think times of the year are more triggering 
as well. I have issues with that too. So my biggest kind of problem that I ever had with mental health was worthlessness, um, feeling very unworthy. So after, after the IVF ended and we made a kind of conscious decision because, or unconscious decision, because I have uh, dyspraxia. And if you look at World Childless Week diversity video that Jodie Day recorded, you will hear Meriel talking about this as well. And mine's very, very low functioning. It doesn't affect me a great deal, but I know I struggle an awful lot with balance. I always struggled with things like um, PE at school, stuff like that. And I was always really worried that any child of mine would have to go through the same thing. And I kind of hoped and prayed that they wouldn't ever go through that. It wouldn't be a thing that they'd have to do. And that was kind of part of the reason why we ended IVF because the diagnosis for that for me came roughly at the same time so I had this whammy of okay this thing that I I have is never going to change I'm not going to get better I'm not suddenly going to get better at going on escalators I'm not going to have miracle thing that's going to happen to me it isn't going to be like that um so it was quite devastating the whole thing and we went on holiday one um March, not best time to go away. It was very bleak. It was a birthday month for me. I struggle with birthdays because the more I get older, the further I get from you know that whole kind of magic kind of time when you're meant to be more more versatile. I know I can't have children naturally, but you know whatever. It still feels just one of those difficult situations. And I woke up one morning about three in the morning and thought, I can't do this. I can't live this life anymore. I absolutely don't want to live this life anymore. And I was going through a really bad time at work as well um somebody was being i would say a i'm gonna say a bully i don't get bullied i've never got bullied at school never been in a position at work i used to work with someone who's ex fleet street who used to use um fuck as a inspirational kind of word um i've worked in some really difficult situations and i've got through it fine um i give as good as i get really and um try and find ways to get around things but this situation was hard because nobody else seemed to know about it nobody else seemed to care and everyone thought this person was great they were senior to me and they were pathologically jealous I think probably of me having a master's degree it's the first time I've ever kind of encountered that too uh, I just get a lot of jibes about that so the whole thing kind of escalated at three in the morning in Norfolk I decided that was it I've had enough I can't do this anymore and I remember getting dressed. I don't know quite why one gets dressed to kind of walk off a cliff, but I decided I would get dressed. I remember quite vividly doing that. I'm walking down the stairs and thinking, well, do I take the car? Do I, do I, do I take a car for this? I don't quite know to do. I could just walk across the field. And I thought, well, I can't really walk across the field. It's muddy. I have dyspraxia. I'll fall over. It won't work. All these stupid things that go through your head. But they're all kind of this thing of like, well, well, I can't do this and I can't do that and I can't do it and I can't 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 and in this kind of process of thinking all of this through the dog my my dog Molly um this is going to seem it's going to break me because I haven't cried on the podcast so far but this is going to really this is really hard but my dog Molly got out of bed because she sleeps on, on on the bed came and found me and I thought I can't I can't do it I can't leave this dog. I, I cannot leave the dog. You know, I thought my husband would be better off. I thought he would be fine because he actually doesn't need all this shit for me. And, and I'm just a hopeless person. He doesn't need this. He just doesn't need me doing this. And then, and then this dog, um, I thought, well, she does need me because we've done all this stuff together. Um, you know, we've done a scent work course. We've gone off and done scent work. 
um, which I love. You know, you, live, you, put, you put cheese in boxes and bits of socks and stuff, and you go around, you do stuff. And I met all these people who also, I coincidentally, happen to not have children. Um, see training classes and all sorts of stuff like that. And I thought, I can't, I can't do it. And I can remember sitting there in the conservatory of this house. Um, it wasn't our house. And I thought, I've got to sort this out. I've got to sort this shit out. Somehow I have to sort this out. And I don't know how to, I don't know where to start. Didn't know where to start. And to cut really, really long and painful story short. And I, and I, I may do a video about it when I'm feeling a bit more kind of, I don't know, maybe it's its own sort of episode. <laughs> Probably its own episode, I think. I don't know. But I found several things helped. One was I, I was in the fortunate position, or I am in the fortunate position, where I decided I had to stop working full time. I couldn't cope with this thing I'd, I'd done this master's degree and I'm still probably partly in this position where I was no chance of promotion where I was the people that I work with had been through the IVF with me but I, I still feel slightly little bit like I'm sort of bracketed somewhere or there's a kind of like I, I have this thing where I'm I don't know I, I'm not going to be promoted I'm not going to be this, this sort of person that can can run things because I don't know I'm not seen as that, even though I've done that before. I've run teams before and I've done it very successfully. Um, there wasn't that opportunity. And that was impacting on how I felt myself for being worthy. I wasn't using my master's degree. That basically was also a thing that helped me save my life. Design saved my life. I save that often because I think it did along with the dog. Um, probably a bit myself I've trying to I've saved myself somewhere on the line but I went to counselling I found a fantastic counsellor who helped me through stuff and it was the chairs in our living room as well that were also a thing this sounds bonkers but somewhere along the line you have to kind of think okay there is shit I can take hold of here and I can deal with it and it was these wretched down chairs because I had um intralipid infusion during my IVF so I sat in the chairs in our living room and nurse comes to your house and they do this in transfusion and these chairs were still in our house, despite it all going wrong. And I couldn't sit in them without feeling ill. Every time I sat in them, I felt ill. And I could barely, when I had this revelation in counselling, I couldn't get the words together. I couldn't get the words together that I could, these chairs, couldn't deal with the fucking chairs. It's so stupid. I really couldn't. And then I, I just somehow cried all these words out to my husband. He said, oh, we'll just get rid of the damn. We can go tomorrow. You have to sit on the floor. We sit on the floor. It's fine. We get rid of the chairs. So the chairs literally went within the week. We had nothing else to sit on. Um, we had one sofa that we, we all sort of sat there in this kind of little row <laughs> with the dog, um, sat on this sofa. But then we got some temporary chairs. Then we got another sofa. And it's all, you know, decorated room. And that helped. Um, I work job share. Um, I work part-time, the rest of the time running my business, which I'm developing and growing, which has helped a lot. Um, and I've met some amazing people. I've had some tricky situations with people judging me because I don't think I can do the job that I do because I'm not a parent, because they're doing a child, children's book, which is interesting. Um, but I realised that I don't need them anyway. They're not the kind of clients I want. I've worked for lots of people who need help in our community. I've worked with Leslie Pine, I've done some stuff with her, and lots of people that I've done design work with, and of course, World Charters Beats design work, as well as the stuff for the podcast. I've also found meditation to be hugely important absolutely 100 percent critical to what i do and also 
a thing I do called Project Me, which is about healthy eating. It's about exercise. Nothing dramatic. It's just kind of, I don't, adulting. I want to kind of say it's adulting because I thought, oh, I ought to do these things and I ought to do this and I ought to do that. And it's just like, no, I actually, I don't want to do those things. I want to paint my house this color. I want to get rid of the chairs. I want to eat in this particular way with no apologies for that. Um, and I want to live a particular life. I, I'm plastic free. I try to eat a healthy environment, healthy food. I don't fly. I have a, a thing that I do, but most of all, critically to all of this is my dog, my rescue dog. And she's a rescue dog because rescue is important to me. And that's always what I wanted. And just her training her, walking her, being with her, and having a shared responsibility has helped a lot. It's not for everybody. Not everyone can have a dog. I have to say a big disclaimer. Don't go out and just get a dog because I've said that they help your life. That's not necessarily the case. There are other ways you can do that. There's charity work. All rescue shelters need dog walkers. They all need them. Desperately, desperately need dog walker. Go and walk a dog at a rescue shelter. Go and look up the Cinnamon Trust if you're in the UK. Don't just get a dog. But I think it helps to have a connection with something else with a heartbeat that's not another human being that's a bit kind of non-judgmental because had Molly not stood at the top of the stairs and I found me that morning, I don't know that I'd be here talking to you. I genuinely don't think I would have been. I was that set that I was that unworthy. And that's my mental health thing. And that's a very, very, very short and brief kind of way of saying this is how I got out of it but a lot of it has been about conversation it's about talking about it it's about checking up on each other one of the things that we do as presenters is we will check up on each other um by a messenger um I, lowest times I always know that you two are there that to me is absolutely completely priceless support because there are days when I just think I can't do this anymore I still blip I nearly blipped last week. I had to carry on with my life knowing that it was 10 years since I, um, I last had a scan for a pregnancy. And 10, year, 10, years, oh, 10 years, I should be over it by now. And I'm not. I sort of know that date and I still know that anniversary. And I always will do. So that's, that's my mental health story. Wow. Packs a punch. Mm. I think you put that, I'm very good at doing the iceberg. You shared that a couple of weeks ago and I think um, Mariel has shared it, a few other people have shared it in our community where you're kind of like, calm, lovely, okay, I'm fine. And actually you sometimes it's just all a bit kind of rubbish. I, I went to work a couple of weeks ago and I know that I, I was kind of, you happened both to be there on Messenger because I was like, shit, I'm in an office and there's a baby come in. And actually what I'd, what I'd asked for in any workplace, and well, I'm sure we'll cover this more in our episode um, next year about um, work, but these are the things I'd like to do. This is kind of the parameters I've got. And this is what I'd like to talk about. You know, I'd like this to be a this is my kind of zone of control if you like and and that had been breached and that upset me more than a child in the office but it's that lack of kind of care sometimes people give or that people don't think that you're as fragile as you are but often because we don't talk about our mental health because we can keep it so inside and especially in public places and I certainly do it with my family my friends that I've met since all of this know more about my mental health than my family do because I don't want to upset them I don't want them to feel that they have a, a, a nose to kind of look out for me or actually worse to pity me for some reason because pity is the worst thing it's not about pity 
Um, and that's the thing that I think is great in our communities. We don't pity each other. It's listening and understanding and not, well, not necessarily understanding, but empathizing perhaps with whatever route you've come to childlessness, not by choice as you have a shared responsibility, shared way around it. There's a shared empathy there that if you don't not part of that community that's really hard to kind of tackle and i think that's where the misjudgment can come along and that's where we can feel hurt really hurt yeah it's not a pity party and no. I, right i think people that are not part of the community don't get that no they don't it's they the don't. look you get you know that pity party mm. look and you just think oh piss off. yeah the sideways head tilt yeah well poor you it's yeah. like no i don't want that i just want you Good. to and yeah, oh, you're, you're so brave. Oh. And then they start talking about their own children, and you think, yes. no, no, it's not quite like that, really, is it? Michael, you've been very quiet, my darling. You're still on mute. Uh, Come on, mute. <laughs> one thing I want to say. Quickly, I wasn't looking at you when I was talking. <clears throat> I love your dog. She'd love you. She'd climb on your lap, lick your face and everything. <laughs> because I'm so happy that she changed your mind. Because you brightened my day. Bless you. Thank you. And I know I can speak for Vicky and say that you do the same for her. I always look forward to seeing your posts. And, to, and I think one of the, the most amazing things about the podcast is that the way the way the strange thing is that sarah has only met i'm the only person out of the three of us that's met all of us and i think that when you meet people that you can talk honestly to about mental health it, it, it it's odd because we're sitting here the three of us and i can see both your faces and <laughs> this is so hard i can stop your videos because it's really hard this is the toughest podcast that we have done because everything else that we've done has involved guests and we do have a guest of course we have lovely mariel talking to us um talking to you two um and we talk about kind of distant things but to talk about your own story and to kind of deal with that. And this is the first time I've talked about this. I've, I've touched on it briefly, um, on walking our shoes a bit, but I've never re-articulated it or said it as words. It's the first time I said it out loud and said, look, actually, you know, I, I, I don't like to say the word. It's too big a word, the S word. I don't think I can say it, but I genuinely thought that yeah, I only term it as walk off a cliff. I can't say that word. Can't say it. I won't say it because I I don't want to say it. Um, and I'm not always without. You know, I still blip. I have blips. I have days. It happens. But the difference between then and now is that the person that I that's causing me problems at work isn't there. I have coping tools, but also I have friends. You know, I, I wasn't blipping when that child came in the office, but I knew it was hard. I'll tell you what's interesting is, is I, I, um, I walked out of the building that day and 
I sat for a bit and then sat there and bawled my eyes out because actually it felt lonely. I felt ridiculously lonely. And then a friend of mine, who's a parent herself, who I've known for a long time, told me, said, where the hell are you? And I said, I'm outside having a cry because of this. And she came out immediately and she's a mum of two teenagers. And what she she said was that you think that these, because there's, there's four, five pregnancies in, in this workplace that I go to for maybe two, two or three days a week. So I do get a break from it. It's not, you know, I'm very much aware that there are other people out there who are listening to this who go in every day and have to deal with this shit. It's just ridiculous. It's just so unrelentingly ah. And this woman came out, so you think it was the only pregnancy in the universe. It's so introverted and so all about them and what they're doing. And she said, and they don't know half of what you've been through, but what you've been through and how you're dealing with it is absolutely amazing and she just sat with me and I know that she's there now and I think that's really important that you have a friendship circle you have somebody out there whoever it is it can be one of us if you are sitting there right now and you're thinking but I don't have that person in my life who can help me with those things then that's also what we're here for um I'm not saying that any of us are particularly going to offer you the best advice in the world, but actually just going onto Messenger, going into somewhere and going, look, actually, this is just bloody awful. Can you listen? You need someone like that because it's, that's what I felt was overwhelming loneliness because, you know, as you yourself, Michael, know, it's different for men. It's different for women. And for us for my husband and I it's been hard it's been really hard because it's for him it's a, a a um it's children would have been the icing on the cake he's older than me it would have been a, a benefit um I'm just looking Sarah Sarah's screen is popped up and her there's her cat's tail <laughs> waving across the screen it's quite distracting <laughs> but actually hilariously funny um animal themes are popping up here anyway um but yeah, if you, it, it's not easy in marriages and partnerships as well. Um, you know, regardless of gender, regardless of, um, you know, there's a lot I think I hear about, you know, if you're, if you're single, it's hard. If you're married, it's hard. It's hard all round. It's difficult. And sometimes the person who you are with isn't always the person that is the best person to speak to because it's, sometimes you can't find the words. I've struggled so hard to find and articulate my grief. Really hard. Yeah, I can relate to that. I think that's you talked you talked about it before that iceberg thing that I put out mm. was basically trying to find the words because the mask, you know, we all got it. I think, and I think this this episode we're all gone. Pfft, the mask is gone, isn't it? It's just like, well, talking about this stuff is just fucking hard, but uh, it's the emotions behind it. I've sat in silence because it's like I don't know what I'm feeling. I don't know how to describe what I'm feeling. So my husband bless him has just started processing this stuff just and I'm sort of I won't say I'm streaks ahead because I blip like you do all the time only takes I don't know I was talking about this the other day sometimes going shopping can be like running the gauntlet because you're like right how many triggers am I going to have fired at me today just to go and get I don't know something like a loaf of bread because they are always there. You can't avoid families, you can't avoid pregnancies, you can't avoid children. And it's just the relentlessness of it. And it's, I try to um, explain it to people that aren't part of this community. It's not like you 
I guess for me, it's a complicated grief. It's not you've lost somebody, therefore you grieve and then you kind of get better. It's different to that. It's a different quality to it because it's your individual dream. It's you haven't been able to share the exact dream that's been going through your head about what your family would have been like. Da, 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 da. And so you're doing it on your own. It's not that you can share or reminisce or, I don't know, I guess sort of process it by talking because you can't because it's it's your own experience and I guess oh this is going to be a tough episode isn't it um it's going to be a really really hard episode I, we are all having a very emotional time recording this um I'm trying very hard not to go because oh, <laughs> But then maybe that's kind of what it is. It's 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 hard. Um, it is. Yeah, most definitely. I I um listening to what you said, Berenice, about you know how it's different for um, males and well, I'll talk from my experience about you know males and females. Mm. Um, I've never felt um, I've never felt that worthlessness. That's not been something. I know Vicky has felt that. Mm. Um, but from I, I've um, for me it's 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 not been like that um, mm. and I'd be really um, interested to hear any other guys opinions um, about what I'm what I'm going to say mm. uh, I I guess the mental health issue for me is a is a wearing down of my resilience if that makes sense so, as I've said in the past, you know, and, and that video I did for World Childless Week where, you know, I had to, had to be strong for the both of us. That's what I believed needed to happen. I'm not saying that's the right thing, I'm not saying it's the correct thing, but that's what I believed. And so, to do that, you, you, you have to, I guess, you know, put the armour on and... and, and, and soldier on and but i now realize and i was only talking to vicky today about this is that that mental energy that you spend trying to uh protect yourself so you can be that rock eventually erodes away and i can tell you now that I'm on medication for anxiety. Um, it's not, and this is about my only my personal opinion. Um, it took a lot of it took a lot of um, coaxing by the doctor to uh, convince me to take it because I've I, I was brought up in a household where um, my mother. Uh, Lost her father when he was when she was four. He was only in his mid twenty. He was twenty five. He got killed in the, in the Second World War. So, you know, post war years, there was my nan, my my mum and her sister, and they just had to get on. And they have this, they have this unbelievable attitude about you just you just got to get on. And so, I have that 
but unfortunately um, it's it doesn't last forever so now I find myself uh, stress sends me into an anxiety attack it's the weirdest weirdest thing um, this this concrete footing that we've put down today I've been putting it off for for weeks because I kept thinking about it and we and I know how much work is involved and I know it's going to hurt because I'm overweight and I you know I can't do things comfortably that are at ground level or below and it started off this you know continually thinking about it and it turns from stress into anxiety and it just it just blows my mind because I've never, I never, I've never been that person. So where am I going with this? Uh, um, I, yeah, I, if, if, if we were able to sort of say what the difference is, that's my story says it's a, it's a wearing down of, of, um, my mental capacity, if you will. Um, so I find myself having to, really push myself to do certain things and that's where um because i might have been guilty of of um how do i put this i might have been guilty of using that philosophy on other people that you've got to push yourself through you've got to push yourself through to 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 desensitize yourself and and um you know to to gain that resilience and now i'm on the other end of the stick and i'm just like what the fuck is this <laughs> um, um yeah i'm not quite sure where i'm going with this um i did write down some notes but yeah look all i can say is that uh you know i too suffer mental health issues it manifests itself in um weight and how i also how i uh, perceive myself um and um, this this time of year is not good for us as well because it vicky's birthday is uh, in august and that was probably uh, 12 years ago that um she was told that ivf worked and then father's day which is a different time of year for us here uh, about um some weeks later was the day that we knew it didn't work. So um, yeah, this this time is not a not particularly nice time. But um, no. No. we we get through that by having um, Vicky and Michael day, which usually means I go and buy a tool, and you know Vicky gets Thai for dinner. I think that's such a nice thing to do because we. We have our wedding anniversary and my husband's birthday, uh, days, and so is my birthday. Um, uh, the day before our wedding anniversary and the day after my husband's birthday and my actual birthday, um, I spent I spent several birthdays actually under sedation or general anaesthetic um, because of IVF. So people thought I was going on holiday, but I wasn't. Um, I was doing something else, which I think um, 
people sort of forget i think that you have different difficult anniversaries but i wanted to go back to two things that you mentioned there michael um first the medication because i'm now unnervingly medication free that's been since may and god it's just weird it's very strange everything feels a bit brighter and bigger and it's a bit of a scary kind of place to be um i'm not entirely sure it's the right thing to do i was very 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 reluctant to do anything about that um really reluctant to do anything and then the other thing that i wanted to say is about anxiety and something that was sarah you will know more about this i'm sure than i can say properly which is about catastrophization i've said that right yeah i know you will perhaps come out in a minute but the other thing before i forget because i know i will forget is about the concrete because i have the same thing about the stained glass window and i know you and i and vicky have chatted about this often um and I have a new door in my house and I have a city and guilds in stained glass. I did this before IVF and when IVF came along I stopped because I thought lead and all the chemicals I wouldn't do it and now I've got to make a stained glass window for this door and I've tidied the shed I've got the workspace set up. I managed to do that bit. Now I have to start it. And I've got to start it. And I've got to try and think about this. And then I kind of, I'm, I'm going around the edges at the moment um, because I've, I've often thought whether it could be like a complete career change and I could just do this thing. And I, I met somebody who does um, stonework and thought, you know, maybe there's something about grief and, and creating memorial panels and things. Anyway, can't bring myself yet to pick up a soldering iron, but you know, next time we meet up, I'm hoping I will have picked up a soldering iron, but I know I absolutely, there are, it's kind of a big sort of step for me because I, I've suffered with weight problems because of um, IVF, um, having been largely a skinny mini all my life. That was a shock. I'm also, concerned i've suffered weight problems because i was a skinny mini all my life <laughs> and that was all down to ivf and so a lot of my mental health issues have been dealing with that you know i went to the hairdressers this week and sat there in the chair and someone had shared this on facebook it was a case when you sit in the chair at the hairdressers and think man have i been ugly all my life because that's what hairdresser chairs do it's this automatic ugly filter thing that they put on you to sit there for two hours going oh my god um and i was like that and i kept thinking i've got to try hard enough and i rather than sat and my husband said to me well think about all the things you have done rather than berate yourself for what you haven't done you know you have started to sort of go running again you're doing this doing all sorts of things and there are two people who i just want to give a quick thanks to um who are a lady a friend of mine called miranda who has done some fantastic work and some um sharing stuff on facebook about her eating and about being a vegan and a lady called um lizzie um who is dyspraxic like me and goes to a gym and she runs 
marathons, half marathons, and I find her very inspiring. Two very important people who they don't know this, that they are getting a shout out. They don't know that they're that inspiring, but they made a massive difference to me because I could relate to them in terms of them taking, addressing things, health issues, addressing stuff, adulty stuff and going, right, okay, I'm going to do this. And I think they're very important. So a lot of it, I think, about project mean about how I perceive myself and my weight and the struggles I have and again that whole struggling with doing things because I know I can't do them because of dyspraxia has been really hard impacts on my worthiness because if you can't have kids and you can't do something else but I try and think about things I can do you know because dyspraxia makes you different you do stand up better I see the world in a different way I see it totally differently I see it in a much more creative way than I do other stuff um you know and when i actually use some escalators which is very rare but when i do i'm like yeah fuck me i've used an escalator it's fantastic you know and most people just go off an escalator and just go oh, it's an escalator <laughs> i'm just like hey party at the top you know i've i've got off this thing and it hasn't chewed my feet up and i and i stood up right all the way <laughs> give me some notes and, like, um, and i'll stand at the top with some pom-poms <laughs> <laughs> oh please do let's do that Yay! <laughs> if, I, if i walk down some stairs without holding a handrail i'm like fucking hell i love these stairs i love them you know it's it's amazing and sometimes it really kind of buggers you up because i have to paint the hall because i have this habit of when i come upstairs in my house i've lived in for years and they are very steep turny stairs they're not probably the ideal thing bungalows are better frankly but nevertheless we have stairs and um i put my arm out at the top of the wall and this is sort of dirt, this patch that's sort of irritates me because of course it's where i've come up and i put my hand on the wall of course you get marks on it so now i'm gonna have to paint the wall <laughs> so yeah it's not always a win I have to say it really really isn't um but sometimes it's quite handy and i can get out of stuff and get like oh i don't want to do that because I've, I've got sprouts here um and i know actually i could probably do it perfectly well but anyway yeah <laughs> catastrophization sarah yeah catastrophizing so yeah. i too suffer with anxiety and mine comes out in different ways mm -hmm. uh catastrophizing is a really bad one for me actually and it's kind of the way I explain it to people is where you're projecting too far into the forward, too far forward into the future, but you're putting it through a negative filter. So I'll give you an example. When I gave up um, employment to become self-employed, um, everything was absolutely wonderful. And it's like, oh, my God, I'm living my dream. Da, 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 da. Uh, and then I hit the skids in January and January, uh, January through to March is all the hideousness to do with all of my anniversaries kind of con con condensed into one quarter year. So yeah, I hit the skids in January and basically my anxiety came up and it was social anxiety. I get that really bad. And it was also, um, I have a real thing. You may not relate to this, but I have a real thing about security. So it got, <laughs> got bad. I couldn't leave my house because I was worried that, um, someone was going to come do something to my house and my house is my safe space for want of a better word. So my anxiety comes out perhaps slightly differently, but yeah, in January, basically everything, I started catastrophizing. When am I going to get, when am I going to start earning? When am I going to do this? When am I going to get clients? When am I going to do this? When am I going to do this? And that is basically your, your anxiety. That is what catastrophizing is. It is every, every fear you've got plays out in your brain as a glorious technicolor film through a negative negative filter and it all comes back down to what berenice was saying about your worthiness mm 
how worthless you feel, how you're not you're not good enough, and that sort of thing. And that's basically my filter for most of January through March, most years, if I'm honest. Um, my good my not good enough filter comes to the fore. So when you sort of talked about the worthiness, and obviously Michael has a very different take on this. Um, I can relate to that because I think the whole childlessness thing for me was you're not good enough to be a mum. And it's all the anxiety just went straight in on me. And it's just, it kicks the shit out of you basically. Um, But, oh, sorry, cat's on the move. Um, But I didn't go down the medical route. Uh, My my doctor did offer me, is it citraloplam? Something like that. Some sort of, yeah. He offered it to me and he said, oh, don't worry. He said, you won't burn it very long. And I said, well, can you define not very long for me? Because I'm, I'm very funny about taking tablets. And he said, oh, you'll be on it six months. You'll wean yourself on, wean yourself off. And I, I've seen a member of my family on antidepressants. And it was kind of, they described it as no black, no white, but all very grey in the middle, all sort of flatlining. And I thought, oh, that's not really what I want. So I didn't, I didn't do that. I went for counselling. And I looked up uh, alternatives and that isn't for everyone. And I'm not going to sit here and recommend it because as far as I'm concerned, your body is your own. You make your own decisions. So I went off and found what worked for me. Um, but it was that it was, it was no black, no white or very gray in the middle, but it took the edge off enough so that I could function uh, January through March. Uh, and after my hysterectomy as well. So sometimes you just, you've got to do what's right for you, haven't you? And for me, I find counselling actually has worked very well. I've got, it's quite funny, I, I did have a female counsellor. And you might find this. We talked about it with um, Muriel, didn't we, Michael? About going mm, to find yeah. the right counsellor for you. And I was saying I had a female counsellor last year, which was fine. But I've now got a fella. Uh, and he's really, oh, he's so cool, honestly. He's just the embodiment of cool. He's an ex-bouncer, ex-boxer proper alpha male and when I went in to meet him I thought oh oh I'm not sure about this and that was when I knew that I had to go and work with him because he bought up stuff for me but it was strange a couple of weeks ago I was talking about the childlessness and I was talking about the iceberg funnily enough and um I was chatting away and I was getting emotional as I do as you've noticed this this episode I've been quite quiet because I've been like blubbing um and I look up and he's and I'd sort of been chatting and talking about the emotions and I look up and he's crying and it was the weirdest thing offering my counsellor a tissue. <laughs> Whose session is this? <laughs> Comforting you. <laughs> but it just took the edge off. And it was, I think it's one of the most beautiful things to see when somebody who isn't part of our community, because he has, he has a family, he gets it. He got it. And, you, you know, cynics amongst you might go, oh, well, he's paying for it and da-da-da-da. But he understood it. He understood the pain. And for me, that was brilliant. That was priceless. And it's like, well, if I can do that, if I can put that somewhere uh, and demonstrate it, then hopefully that will help other people. Because it helped me enormously. It's like, bloody hell, this is brilliant. You understand it. And I think that's part of the problem. You don't want a pity party. You just want people to be able to walk beside you and, and understand, isn't it? I think often we can stop yeah. or not want to share something because we have some negative things. You, you know, and in amongst all of the 
the conversations we have there'll be someone who will say oh well it wasn't meant to be it's god's way or children are not all they're cracked up to be i've had all of those and more as we all have um michael you may laugh but that was from a relative um i'll tell you that one another time i'm not going to breach people's confidentiality but we'll, we'll... No, i was i was laughing at sarah because she was she was just going you know no no <laughs> It was so all, all these conversations that we have with other people, and we we test the waters out, and we say something, you know, and, and and it's harder for some people, I think, than others. I can, if I say, oh, I've had IVF, failed IVF, then people will make a judgment. If I say miscarriages, people make a different judgment because oh. miscarriages, I think, can make people think, oh, well, yeah, that could happen to me. IVF for people, I. I don't know, I'm speaking on behalf of a community I'm not part of, but I always get the impression that people we don't know enough about IVF. People think it's easy, people think that or it's complete mystery or it's 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 mucking about with nature or it's um I don't know what people think about it. Um or they think actually mostly as what I thought, oh it works. Mm-hmm. So when you say, or when I say, I always say, well, I've had failed IVF and miscarriages. Because I've had miscarriages naturally and I've had miscarriages as a result of IVF as well. So both. Um, and that tends to sort of stop people taking, a, they can make a judgment in their head, but they don't tend to make it more in vocally now. But before I'd been certain, you said, okay, I'm, I'm, and I've just said, I'm childless not by choice then you get those bingos you know and i, I have a i have a, a thing on my computer it's actually a bingo game and i started designing this thing ages ago you know bingoism so the idea of developing a board game for the community but the idea is you have these bingos and i think people make these judgments and they're difficult ones but in and amongst all of this wherever you come from whatever your story is, you will find somebody out there to, that will help you who will be a parent. I think, I, I do firmly believe they're there. Contentious, I know, and a lot of people will be listening to this going, you are talking absolute bullshit, Bernie. She really are. Um, I've not found that person. But I think somewhere out there, there is, and it's kissing all the frogs. But when you kiss all these frogs and they, they stay as frogs, it is really hard because then it, you start to just think, okay, it's never going to happen. I'm never going to find this person who can help me. Um, but they are there. Um, and it gives you a little bit of faith. I don't think you have to find them, but I think mm-hmm. it helps you make you feel that the world's a bit more of a balanced place and a kinder place. Because I think having that them and us feeling is also really hard as well it's very very um painful to carry that and i've carried that i felt immensely bitter about anyone who'd, who'd had a child um very very bitter about it i got very into that zone of being bitter and that's really hard and a really hard place to get yourself out of really difficult i think also if you have bad counseling experiences that can also be a thing Oh. Um, you need to counsel to be as neutral as possible i think um so yeah mariel's advice and her fantastic post um which is about written by her um in psychology today wasn't it about people who um you know, about advice for people who are counselors um, for people who are childless is absolutely important it needs to be viral 
absolutely yeah. needs to be viral. It really does. She does absolutely nail it. I've, I've, mm. um, and for those of you that are listening and are thinking, oh God, I don't ever want to do counselling, it is a personal choice. Mary always at yeah. um, emphasise that. But I've had some bad counselling mm-hmm. and it me too. put me off. Mm. Um, so, but it is, it's the kissing frogs analogy. You need to find the right one for you. So you will, if you come up against one that's no good for you and you need that help, keep looking because they are, there are some wonderful counsellors out there that will be able to help you. Yeah, yeah. It's, we, how we, you yeah. tackle stuff is personal. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. We had a um, uh, counsellor for ten years um, because of uh, some, and I know I can I I can say this. I have Vicky's authority to say this that you know she experienced some child sexual abuse and also um, dysfunctional family because they won't be listening to this, so it won't matter. Um, and then, of course, the whole child thing as well. So we went and seen one for 10 years, and um, she was a fantastic woman. She was in her... She would have been in her 60s when we first started seeing her, but she had experienced the death of a daughter and the death of a husband. And although they were very, very sad... Um, you just knew that you know you, she had the world experience to to be you know, just right for her job. Uh, and I've I've experienced some not so good. So I um, I went through when I was at work, uh, a company I used to work for quite a large one, a large Australian one. Um, there was redundancies happening. And of course, I've talked about my erosion of my, my confidence. Um, that really hit me hard. Um, and so I took up the employee assistance program. And I went to see this young girl, and, and I'm not, who had no life experience. And here I am, a man in, you know, my 50s, trying to explain to her, um, you know, what I was going through. And, you know, she just didn't get it. And she was sprouting from the textbook. You know, you knew she was. Probably because I've done, you know, I've done the majority of a psychology degree myself. So I knew she was sprouting from the textbook. Um, Yeah, that wasn't a very good one. So like you say, yeah, you've got to find the one that's right for you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, the the one I was referring to is after my miscarriage. Uh, um, and I went and she knew, you know, so I had a bit of a chat with her, told her what it's about. And then uh, as I, I go to meet her, it's in her house. We walk up the stairs and there's all these pictures of her children as I'm walking up the stairs. So I thought, oh, this isn't going to go well. <laughs> and I sit down. And God. Yeah, it was uh, so I was already defensive, and I my you know um, when I'm under pressure, my my defence mechanism just go like a like a barrier goes straight up. So I was already a little bit tetchy when I walked in the room, and then the first thing out of her mouth, or one of the first things out of her mouth, is um, thought about going on antidepressants. I, I was just like, oh, God, so this is not you know I'm here to talk. I'm not here to um, you know. 
I didn't want to go on medication basically. I wanted to feel it. I didn't want yeah. to, I didn't want to mask it. it. It was important for me to feel the loss. And so saying that and literally I think I went, I don't know why, but I went for two or three sessions and then in the end I went, yeah, I'm fine. And she said, well, um, or maybe I'll see you again. I'm not bloody likely. <laughs> you're not even on the same, you know, never mind the same page. You're not on the same book, the same library as me. Yeah. So very unlikely. So yeah, not a great experience, but yeah, I think talking about, you know, Berenice was talking about IVF and miscarriages and stuff. Um, yeah, I was talking to my counselor about miscarriages and he said that never has he come across a more euphemistic term for something that is just absolutely destroys you. And he's, he, he, counselor shared a few things but it's just i think it is a euphemistic term isn't it and i think when people are going through ivf now me and my partner didn't do ivf um i'd had a lot of procedures i've got a lot of scarring across my abdomen um got a lot of scarring inside my body but obviously i can't see that and so the thought of me doing ivf and i, I was i was at <clears throat> i was at rock bottom so i had nothing left to give um there was no way that I was going to be able to do IVF. But the number of people that have turned around to me and it's the judgment. Why haven't you done IVF? Why haven't you done this, that and the other? And it's just assumed that it's an easy thing to do. But you have to have mental resources in order to face the fact that you are not going to have children or that you need assistance. Then you have to have a mental resource and capacity to go through IVF. And what if that doesn't work? And I just don't think that, I think outside of our community, people don't realise how resilient we have to be individually. I don't think oh, there's enough acknowledgement. I totally agree. I, I, I'm going to share a story with you. Um, it, just a couple of weeks ago, actually, I had the occasion to go and see uh, Vicky's brother and his family. And, um, and no, please don't get me wrong, they're, they're, they're lovely people. They're very supportive. but let's just say they're not from our community um and talking to um to them both Vicky's brother was a typical guy just sat there and listened didn't say much um but his wife um let's just call her let's call her Susan just in case she does listen to this now now Susan is a lovely girl she's and she's the warmest of hearts but she she uh, we started talking about the podcast and the community and so she's done the have you ever thought of adoption have you ever um uh fostering that sort of thing and i said i said look here's something you don't know going through ivf and the roller coaster that creates um is is tough and each one of those dips gets lower and lower and lower which you've got to climb you've got to try and climb yourself out of every time they say oh sorry it didn't work so i can so i said look um your sister had days where she couldn't get out of bed because she was so depressed three or four o'clock in the afternoon i'd come home from work and the curtains, as we've talked about before, were closed because she couldn't get out of bed because she's so depressed. Now, so that, that they wouldn't have known that 
because that's not something we had shared within the family. So I said, now think about that and then think about how did we have the, the psychological resilience to then go through a, a, an adoption process that here in Australia is very harrowing and there's no guarantee. So we were broken. So how can you do that? And you could see the light go, oh, wow. I've never thought about it like that. So, of course, oh, did you ever think about fostering? I said, well, okay. Just told you this, that we were broken. And you've got your two boys there. So you're coming from the, the, from the point where, oh, you could invite someone into your home and, and look after them for a little while. And, you know, if, if, the, if they need to leave your family, yeah, it won't be too bad because you've got your two boys over here. But think about the fact that you haven't got anything and you're given, you know, this human to look after and then it's taken away. And she's, again, the lights come on, just bing. Like you say, Sarah, the, the people outside of the community just do not understand the 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 depths of this grief and you know where it takes you no it, oh god I'm, it makes me so angry when people go around have you thought about this have you thought about yes i thought i thought about nothing fucking but trying to get children i'm gonna i'm gonna have thought about all the options you know when someone sort of said to me do you think you tried hard enough because you didn't have ivf we did our we did our research we didn't just sack it off as no, we're not going to do that. We did our research. My body was so damaged, the likelihood of it happening was single figures. So why, you know, you've got to question whether you put yourself through that. And I've got to admit, I'll put my hand up, I am batshit crazy on hormones. It was either, do we pursue this relentlessly for children and we continue the re relentless cycle of hope <clears throat> and disappointment, or do I sacrifice my marriage? And that was, that's what it came down to. And with the adoption as well, we started looking into that. And I, 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 I was more invested, I'll be honest, with Jim, my other half has been, I'm not sure, you know, we think about it. But once I started looking into it, I was like, again, there's no guarantees. And there's, there's that, you need to have this almost limitless resource of resilience. And I didn't have it. I was, mm. you know, I was fucked. And as someone who's been through the uh, adoption and it did work for them, but had been through um, uh, other ways of trying alternative parenting, looking at different solutions at, at, at IVF as well. And oh, God, the journey that, that she went through. And uh, she lost a few friends on the way because um, ultimately they did end up, was it, see, I hate to say the word successful because it, it isn't because it's so hard to do and it was so sad to see those friends drop away because she had it's only I'm trying to think how long I've known her with her her daughter and that must be two years um and it's only this last weekend that they actually felt they could have a party to celebrate her being in their family 
And through all of that, she's had to live with this idea that at any point it can end. And going back to what you said about not doing IVF, I, I absolutely, I, I've, I've heard this come up before as a, as a theme. Is there a kind of like a, a sort of a, a judgment within our communities about that? Do we have these kind of conversations in our communities where, okay, well, you know, do I think, for example, that you didn't try hard enough, Sarah? Well, that's just absolute bollocks because no, I absolutely, just like we said about counselling, it's utterly, utterly individual and it's utterly um, personal. You know, and Kenny would not, my other half would not have taken IVF as an option. Um, it wasn't something he felt he wanted to do, particularly after the first time because I had ovarian hyper, um, blah de blah, whatever it is. I kind of tried to forget the words OHSS, so I was quite ill and all the other times but then you end up at the point where you have all these eggs and then you keep going and going and going so again another thing as well about that is people make these judgments so why didn't you just stop the IVF or why didn't you just stop it and then try adoption we can't stop IVF halfway through when you have these cells in a freezer and they may one of those may work you know I have 13 embryos 13 27 eggs 13 embryos so that's how many I use in all the cycles. And of course, as they defrost them, of course, they, they, they die off. But there was one left. And anyone that's followed me on Walk in Our Shoes knows about the story of the last embryo. You can go and read it over there. It's, it's fine if you want to. Um, and that was my choice. And Kenny more reluctantly so. Adoption wasn't for us because we have an age gap. And we were publicly told, go for it. It's fine. Um, because in the UK publicly there's no upper age limit um, we went to a, a, a thing about it they had like a presentation about it and I said to the guy at the end of it I said look generally hand on heart this is my story this is what I've been through will we be judged by age well um, we can't say that no I want you to spit it out to you absolutely because I cannot cope with the shit of going through all of the IVF and then going through adoption and going through the motions and everyone going yay yeah, it's all fine because that's the PC thing to do mm. when actually the truth is that you're judging me and you've already made that judgment because we've got an age gap and the general feedback I had was that actually if you were on your own you'd have more chance than you do with your husband even though actually he's a perfectly good father he'd be a brilliant father he'd be a much better father than I would be a mother absolutely you know that you know children migrate to him like you're some kind of like magnet which makes it all the more difficult but he just is that person um, you know, dogs migrate to me, cats, and he gets children. That's kind of how it works. And then, and, it, and we would have been fine. And I think we would have made great parents. But I, I think that it was too much to go through. So everyone goes through these kind of choices. And I, I guess I was fortunate. I met Kenny when I was younger. And I wasn't in that position where I was childless through circumstance. But I think childless by circumstance is also really hard. I know friends of mine are in that position. You know, they're in their 30s, the clock is ticking very, very quickly. And they're in that position where, where, where do, I, do I throw something at IVF and hope it works and sperm donor, but then I'm renting a flat. I don't actually own a flat because house property, the, the house, system, house buying system in the UK is so screwed. Um, 
and so expensive certainly where i live anyway it's really ridiculously expensive so you have all these this different our social narrative has changed so much that to say in our community that we judge each other for trying or not trying something hard enough would be absolutely hugely unfair and i think for me personally hugely objectionable because actually our lives these days aren't like they were when my parents were around or our grandparents were around. It's different. You know, we, we don't have those, that access to things and with millennials coming up as well, their lives are so different. It's so sporadic. We're not that same person anymore. I think we're that last generation that have that pressure to conform in the way that perhaps our parents did and our grandparents did. I think our, I'm sure that there's other people, probably Robin Hadley could probably put more light on that. I'm going off on an academic kind of like rant now, but there is that whole um, life. I think it changes an awful lot for us. And there's an awful lot of pressure in that. So I don't think anyone should, is right or wrong. We just make personal choices, just like we do in how we tackle our mental health and what we decide to do. It's very, very different. Definitely. But shall, we, shall we move on to some new stuff? I'm just worried about Michael having to edit all this. This is massive, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. I'm sitting here thinking, fuck, how am I going to do this? this I know. This, you know. Maybe this is one that you need to train us to do and we'll try and do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah you, need to, you need to inflict it on us so that we can relate and we can start, you know, editing ourselves. Oh, no, 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 it's not that. It's not that. It's, it's the fact that you know, uh, you know, when you're editing, you're looking, you're looking for that point where you can go, right, I can, I can cut that out and, you know, move. But sometimes you can't do that. You know, I think and, we and let this we, run. We let it run, Michael, because I think yeah. people will want to. And what I'll do is when we go through it, or if you go through it, and you can see points where we start to talk about my mental health, your mental health, Sarah's mental health, whatever, and we've got the time blocks then i'll do that and people can go into separate bits of it that's what we'll do yeah use the show notes to do it but i ought to do a, the newsy thing and a couple of shout outs perhaps yeah so um what i'd like to say too is and i'll try and do this without crying i can feel it coming already here <laughs> oh god um okay get yourself together thank you both for telling me your story i i and um yeah it's it's been really and I, I don't want to say nice because you know it's never good it's never easy but um it, it i just feel closer to you both thank you thank you thank you thank yeah. you i knew this was going to be a bloody hard episode but geez <laughs> <laughs> harder than I I didn't think that I would go I thought I'd probably be okay I'm I'm kind of so used to holding it together that actually it was really really hard yeah you you shared an awful lot there I mean there's there's more there's so many bits that chimed with it and I think that's probably why I was in bits listening to it there's probably an awful lot more I'd like to say about it but I'm conscious that there's no direct route from from weirdly getting dressed and oddly putting makeup on maybe i wanted to be found kind of in a decent state i don't know it's that whole thing of like you're gonna go I always put nice knickers on um you know <laughs> what why why and now every count i think oh my god how absolutely mad was i um but you know there you go but the, the, there are the, I, what i will do is try and write a blog post after this episode and sort of uh, things that kind of help me as well 
and stuff yeah. because there's a lot about that and it wasn't a direct route and it because it never is it's never linear it's like a big tangly kind of thing there's never kind of like a to b it's a then b c and back to a again and all over the place but there is sort of stuff that you can do and i'll, I'll share a picture of my dog but everyone knows my dog i think now um, so new stuff in our um, podcast in the toolkit, which if you have not downloaded the toolkit, you can go to our website, www.thefullstoppod.com, and you can download the toolkit. In that, we mentioned we we're going to change our episode formats a little bit. So the idea is that we want to make it more community based. That is to say, we want to hear from people who perhaps have never been um, on a podcast before. Maybe you don't even have a blog yet. Maybe you're just thinking, I've got something I want to say. And maybe you don't want to say the words. Maybe you'd like us to say them for you because that's what we can do as well. And you can be in absolute confidence. But if you want a safe and supportive environment to share a story, then that's what we are here to do. We want to hear about all the people that people have never heard of before who are doing amazing stuff, um, who are struggling, who are looking for help. You don't have to have a life changing story, but you may just have something that you think might help somebody else or something you want to talk about that may benefit um, us as presenters as well. So this is the newsy part or the community bit, the community news, community news from the podcast. Um, we wanted to share a couple of shout outs and that is that World Childless Week um, happened um, at the time of broadcasting. Um, two weeks ago, it'll be about a month, I think, by the time we launched this episode. And lots of stuff came up on that. So we would like you to go over to the website, worldchildlessweek.net. You can see Michael and I are champions there and Sarah wrote some fabulous stuff as well. So we've all contributed to that. One of the champions is Christina Archetti, and she has set up a new community, if you are in Norway, called Other Ways with Cecile Hoxmarks. I hope I have pronounced your name correctly, Cecile. Um, that is happening. You can go to Christine. You can find Christina Archetti on Facebook and on social media. And I'll pop up some links onto her, webs on, to her website on our blog as well on the full stop. We also wanted to let you know about a lovely lady called Emma who contacted us. She's not ready to talk to us just yet, but she has a beautiful, beautiful um, blog that's just been set up, Chronic Mama in Waiting. So Chronic Mama in Waiting blog dot home dot blog again we will pop up a link to that too so you can share it she got in touch to tell us that she started very recently to share her story and it's incredibly moving and we'd really like you to go over to her website and i hope that one day we'll be able to bring you um her story in person but as all of these things there's never any pressure whatsoever um to do that we absolutely appreciate it, it takes time it's taken me 10 years to talk about my um, story today. The other mention that we wanted to make that we haven't talked about in um, in our recovery stories and how we've coped with mental health, but something someone wanted to point out is Carolyn. And Carolyn is a friend of mine. I've met her several times. She is, I just use absolute love. I adore her. And she's got a dog as well, a lovely rescue. And you can find out more about her as well. Probably, I'm sure Derek must be on her website. And her website um, is Cantiamo um, and www.cantiamomusic.com. Again, we will pop up a link to that. She's a music teacher. She's also childless, not by choice. And she advocates singing for well-being. And she sets up workplace choirs. So if you were inspired by um, 
was it Gareth Malone, wasn't it, to the workplace class? Then she's your woman um, if you want to do singing and music teaching. She's incredibly talented. She also does flute teaching as well. And I do believe that her lovely dog howls and sings um, as well. So she has to put him in another part of the house when she has a student, which just makes me laugh my socks off. So a massive thank you to her for pointing that out. And do go and check her out. And that's our community news. If you want to be part of it, as I say, just drop us a line, social media, website, um, just track us down. You can also befriend us individually on Facebook and follow us on Twitter under our individual accounts. We really don't mind. Just come and check us out. Um, or Sarah at After the Storm as well. As you can see, that was a tough session for us all, but we thought it was important for the entire conversation to be used as we firmly believe mental health should not be minimised in any way. Our hope is that somewhere in there, you found a connection with us and feel less isolated. So please, don't hold back if you wish to contact us at www.thefullstoppod.com and we really did mean if you want to contact us individually feel free to do so please don't be shy now it's time for our guest the lovely Muriel Whale who among many things is a counsellor who is also childless not by choice everyone so welcome to our I, I hesitate to use the word interview Meryl <laughs> but it, okay. um, we, we're talking with Meryl Whale today who's a specialist counsellor for our community for the child is not by choice community um, she uh, you've been counselling way before this weren't you is it yeah. 10 years did you tell me it's 10 years since I graduated 10 years since you graduated so you kind of done other stuff but decided to specialise with our community which is yeah. amazing um, so yeah, so we're talking about all things mental health and um, how it affects our community. So I guess the, the starting point is, how, what's your experience like? How do you experience working with our community? Um, I, absolutely, I absolutely love working with the Childless Not By Choice community as a counsellor. That's not to say that I don't feel extremely moved and sad by people's stories, because I do. Um, and I, I constantly find myself feeling moved by what I hear. And if I didn't, then that would be alarming. Um, because, you know, one of the important things about being a counsellor is to have your humanity in the room at all times. Um, and to really hear and understand these stories and hearing them and understanding them means being moved by them. Because the stories that I hear on a weekly basis are deeply moving. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite an emotional job in many ways. Um, but I'm in my counselling mode. So I manage those emotions so that I can be my own emotions, so that I can be 100% present for my clients, for their stories and their journeys. And that's really important. So yes, even though some of the time what I hear is deeply moving, I do love my job. I love working with this client group in which I include myself because I have gone through a childlessness journey of my own. And it feels deeply um, satisfying and rewarding to be able to work with a community that's often been neglected in the mental health sphere. And in fact, has often not had their stories heard in every sphere, not just in counselling and mental health, but across many, many different spheres of people's lives. I, I think it's um, 
obviously I'm a trainee counsellor yeah. but I also have counselling myself and I have found it um, difficult I think uh, my current counsellor is absolutely incredible he's uh, <laughs> I think he's terrific he's like a, an alpha male ex-boxer bouncer and I looked at him I thought you're not going to get this but he got it and I yeah. think for me it's been quite a unique experience because I've worked with other counsellors around this topic and felt perhaps misunderstood yeah or, or I don't know it's hard to explain perhaps they they've mm -hmm. not understood the pain of this journey yeah. so I think having someone from our community actually doing yeah. this work is pretty amazing really yeah I, I've had counsellors say very tactless things to me over the years um, and that's one of the things that I, I can guarantee that there will hopefully not be any bingos in my sessions I am not going to say to my clients have you thought about <laughs> trying x y or z um, to help you to have a child because I know that we have all thought about these things all the different things that we could possibly do we've thought about them we may have tried quite a few of them and I respect the fact that when people come to me they're not coming to me for me to offer them practical solutions about how to have a child and that's not what I do and that's not what I would ask other counsellors to do either and I think that's really important so yeah I've had some yeah I've had some negative experiences and I really hope that people who come to me for counselling will not have those kind of experiences and that by writing blogs about counselling people who are childless not by choice and hoping that other counsellors will read them and think about how they work with childless people as well I saw one you you wrote top well, it's like top 10 tips wasn't mm. it for people working from our community yes. um, and I thought it was really useful actually because I think some of the some of the things that we think are obvious um, totally bypass other counsellors I think but it's the bingo. It, it, I've had the bingos. You say, oh, for the love of God, yeah. no, <laughs> I don't no. need to hear this. <laughs> in the counselling room, we, don't, we shouldn't be hearing those bingos. No. Um, Counsellors really need to focus on where their clients are at and what's going on for their clients and to completely accept and validate everything that is going on for them and not try and offer solutions, but just be there with them, hear their story, understand it as much as is humanly possible. But just being present and accepting and validating whatever's happening so important it must be hard when sometimes you see something so painful that you kind of think actually i'm affected by this um it can be difficult but what i find is that um two things help me with that one is is that i i hope and believe that i'm making a difference to that person by being present for them and putting my own feelings aside so that I can be 100% present, that helps me stay really focused. And I found, I found that because I'm a long way through my own healing journey, that I'm not, I'm affected on a human level by the stories I hear. I'm not affected on a personal level as much because as I say, I've done a lot of work myself and I'm now living my plan B and very happily living my plan B. Um, so, even if somebody comes with a story that's quite similar to my own, I find that I can be with it and work with it. And I also have clinical supervision once a month, um, which is where I can talk about my response to my clients, my feelings, and make sure that the work that I'm doing with them is 
as good as I can as I can make it. So clinical supervision is really important support for the counsellor, mm. um, and that really helps me. And um, and if I need it, if I'm being troubled or affected by things, I get support. I talk to people, talk to my friends, talk to my family. Um, not about my clients, obviously. Confidential. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's completely confidential. Um, but I talk about my own feelings and make sure that I get support when I need it. And because I've got lots of friends who are also childless, not by choice, um, and lots of friends who have kids, but who still get it. And that's brilliant. Well, that's really good, isn't it? I think that's really important. So when it comes to, I mean, not everyone is going to be in a position of being able to um, be ready for counselling. It, mm. it takes a lot of guts, I think, yeah. to admit that you need help. Yeah. So is there anything that uh, people can do to help themselves be maybe get ready or, or at least be able to support themselves if they're not able or willing yet to get counselling? Um, yeah, I think, there are, I think there are lots of things that people can do. I would definitely recommend um, getting involved with one of the childless community groups across the world. And there are more and more childless community groups now being formed across the world. Um, some that some on different platforms, there's some on Facebook. Um, I'm sure there's, there's things on Twitter, although I find Twitter a bit of a mystery. Um, but there are face-to-face -face meetups. Um, and groups so yeah there's I think getting involved with the community and being able to meet with other people in a similar position and who can just hear your story and go yeah I get it I understand it you're not weird there's nothing wrong with you you're not mad it's all totally normal you're fine you just just be you know be part of the community I think is really important um a lot for a lot of people um it's not just human community that makes a difference animal community is really important and lots for lots of childless people having pets um, is a really important way to get support. Um, if you're not an animal person, don't worry about it. But if you are, it's really great. Um, and I know lots of people find their pets are a, a massive, um, yeah, massive source of support. Um, and counselling is it's only, it's only, it's got to be the right time for you. So if you feel like it might be, but you're not sure, try it, contact a counsellor. Most counsellors will offer um, free or reduced price initial sessions so just try it see if it feels right and if it doesn't go okay this didn't feel right I'll either try somebody else or this, is, this isn't where I'm at just now I need to honour my own story my own journey until I'm ready for counselling mm. and that's people have to do it in their own time journaling can be something that really helps people blogging podcasting all these things can be really healing there's, there's lots of stuff out there that can be really really healing and I've written quite a few blogs on different aspects of healing either with counselling or without it and they're on my website um so there's stuff on there that people could look at if they wanted to but you don't we'll, have to go on the website this isn't a pitch <laughs> <laughs> don't worry we'll Brilliant. share the website in the notes so don't worry <laughs> um but i think that's a really good point actually the, the point you made there was maybe that counsellor isn't right for you well mm. all counsellors are different and i will admit i have been to a counsellor that wasn't for me um yeah. she didn't we didn't meet each other on the same plane, if you no. like. We just weren't compatible. So it might not be that you're not ready. It might be that you need yeah. to go and find somebody that gets you, that's on your level. Yeah. Um, so even if you meet somebody, you think, oh, flipping heck, no, that was not for me, then, and then try again. Because if you are feeling that you need that sort of support, yeah. 
then it's about finding the right person that connects with you. It's because a personal relationship like any other. Totally. We don't get on with all, we don't, we, you know, we, we, we don't want to be friends with everybody in the world. We don't no. want to be romantic partners with everybody in the world. It's the same with counsellors. It's a personal relationship, even though it's also professional. But counsellors, as I said earlier, are bringing their humanity into the room. They're being, they're being real people in the room, in the counselling room. Or in my case, because I do a lot of online counselling, in the counselling internet dimension, counsellors are bringing their, their real selves. And if, if um, people do want to hook up to kind of support groups across the world, I know that the World Childless Week website has a list of different support groups that people can, can have a look at. And there's lots of different ones. So hopefully there'll be something there for everybody again we can share that one so we'll put it in the notes for everyone if, if you're listening and you're interested in that yeah um so yeah I, I guess it's that's it really isn't it i mean it's i mean i'll be honest i'll be put my hands up i was the first time i thought oh i need some help and i thought oh, i need to go and get counseling mm. i think i don't know maybe it's an, it might be a british thing but i think we're a little bit behind um perhaps the usa where it's mm. not such a stigma to go and yeah. get help when you need help so I think we're a little bit behind, but it's, it is a huge step admitting to yourself that you need help. Um, but it's, no one needs to know. And as you say, it's a professional, uh, personal relationship. Yeah. Nothing will ever, ever, ever be shared in any circumstances. So yeah. it's, in, it's in completely safe. It is. What happens in the counselling room or the internet, if you're doing it online, stays in the counselling room. Um, confidentiality is one of the key tenets of counselling and it's a really important one really and that's why I'll never talk about if somebody says to me um what does what do childless people go through I will never talk about it from the point of view of my clients I will only talk about my own story and there may be universal aspects to my own story and my own feelings but that's all I that's all I'm equipped to talk about is what what happened what happened to me what I went through not what happened or what my clients went through because that's that's a, that's their stories I don't I don't talk about them well, as, as you say it's their story we you know yeah. we can listen to it we can take yeah. it on board but we can't ever relate to it 100 no. percent. so yeah yeah the only but, stories we can tell are our own and I think it's really important for childless people if they want to to tell their stories in their own words and not to not to have them filtered by other people. I think we need, you know, if we want to, to tell our stories in our own words. And I think that's really important for any minority group, actually. Yeah, I think I think you're spot on. Mm. I think that's a good place to end, isn't it, Michael? Can, can I just ask one question? Yeah, of course. <clears throat> from, from, from the Bates Hotel. Yeah. Um, <laughs> firstly, Mira, it's, it's, it's it's uh, wonderful to uh, finally, you know, have some time with you. Yeah. Yeah, we, we've exchanged messages and um, that's been really nice, but it's yeah. really great to finally talk. Yeah. Now, having been someone, um, both Vicky and I, sitting on the psychologist couch for 10, year, couch for 10 years. Yeah. I'd like to get your, both of you actually, your, your um, I, the way that I think about this is an end point. And the end point would be, to be more resilient yes um psychologically resilient so i'd like to get both your your sort of views on that you know um you know how people could how people can do that um 
you know, what are some of the things that help with that resilience? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think there are lots of things that can help build resilience and not all of them involve going and seeing a counsellor. That's not right for everybody. Mental health and mental well-being is broad and lots and lots of things can, can support people with it. Um, I think sometimes it's down to your, our attitudes about what we've experienced because some people who are childless not by choice, um, and I would include myself in this, in fact, as I said earlier, I can only really ever talk about my own story, experience huge amounts of shame and I think coming to a place where we recognize that we are good enough as we are making that cognitive shift from I'm not good enough to I am good enough is, a, is an important is an important one and reading and listening to other people and talking to other people can really help with that um, so I often think that resilience is not so much what we do it's how we allow our thoughts to change and how we allow our thoughts to become more generous, more compassionate, kinder to ourselves and to other people. And moving from shame to self-acceptance, moving from blaming to forgiving um, ourselves and other people. I think one of the really important parts of my journey was when I forgave myself and I forgave the people around me. And I said to myself, we all did the best we could. It was a really difficult situation and we all did the best we could and I stopped, I stopped blaming. But a lot of resilience is just letting it happen, letting what's happening inside you happen, getting support when you need it, but not pushing it down or, or resisting it in any way. And that's really hard because nobody wants to feel these horrible feelings, but I do think they're better out than in. Yeah, I would echo that. I think I think for me, um, I'm probably not as far along on the journey as uh, yourself and Michael. And I think for me, there's been a few turning points. And I think shame is the biggest one because you do feel quite ashamed that you can't have children. You know, it's not even a question of um, being able to hide away. You know, there's there's always that question, isn't there? It's one of the bingo questions. So do you have children and there's no hiding no. and you can pretend that you didn't want them but you have to I think get to the position that you are comfortable in your own skin yeah and that for me has been a big issue because mine was infertility mm. and I've had so many different things go on mm. that um, getting comfortable in my own skin has been a massive challenge it's still something that every now and again causes me problems but I think it's learning to communicate with yourself. So journaling, we talked about that before. Yeah. Um, getting comfortable with the emotions. So if, you, if like me, you're a processor, I'm a total processor. <laughs> Something will happen, right? I need to process that. So I will yeah, go and cool. journal and, and yeah. work my way through it in my own, my own time. As I said, I do get counselling because, not just because I'm training, but also because I need it. I'm, a, mm -hmm. I'm somebody that uh, goes non-communicative when I'm under pressure and I've worked very hard to come away from that and I think I think for our community being uh, invisible or shut down mm. we need to start finding our words our language mm. and talking about it and that that could be as Miriam Miri said going out and talking to people face to face finding your tribe, mm, tribe. Yeah. Uh, or it could be going on forums it could be just journaling to yourself and getting comfortable 
yeah. there's so many different things you can do and it, it very much depends on who you are how you process and how you feel about you very uh, personal isn't it it is very personal and i think that's that's the thing isn't it yeah. you try and lump it all in and no. you can't because it's so unique everyone's grief is different everyone's experience is different it just so happens that we're all childless not by choice what, what's helped you michael do you think to be more resilient over the years um i would definitely say uh being vocal i would say that um not always being able to tell our story um yeah. someone that someone asked me once they said what why do you do that why do you why do you open yourself up to to you know to this i said well you know that means that something they sort of say that someone would have something against me this is in a in a uh, male-dominated um, yeah. steel industry and i said you know what if everyone knows what i'm going through then there's there's nothing to hide behind there's nothing that i don't get what you mean um but um yeah i have the the um the belief that's the word i'm looking for i have the belief that the the, the more you talk about it the more you um you build resilience because you're almost and i know you two will understand this you're desensitizing yourself in in that to your to your story to the emotions mm. yeah that sit around your story um and then yeah 10 years on the psychologist couch um was 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 good that was um mm. another part of that it taught it taught both vicky and i how to actually how to actually talk to each other properly and I, and we have this little saying between us that when we talk we talk about the right stuff and um, yeah, yeah and that's so that's where we are today yeah, yeah brilliant yeah i think that um there's something about being heard and being witnessed that's really important and i know that um there's a quote from Jodie Day's book, which I think is kind of sums it up in many ways, where she says that grief heals us, but we cannot do it alone. We cannot wait it out. Time does not heal, grieving heals, but it cannot heal until it is witnessed and held jointly with great tenderness in the heart and soul of another. And I think that other could be a counselor, could be a friend, could be a colleague, um, but having someone to to witness and hold that story that grief with great tenderness and great love can be really healing and then if you can offer yourself that tenderness and love then i think that's wonderful actually and that's why i find that quote really important and really sort of informs my work as a counselor and as a and as a friend and a family member it informs my work, it informs my life actually in lots of ways. So you have been listening to Sarah Lawrence, Michael Hughes and me, Berenice Smith, talking about mental health. Our next episode is going to be called Fuck Festivity.
Yes, we're doing a sweary one. And the reason we're doing that is because we know that Christmas, oh my God, it's hard. It's so difficult. Thanksgiving is hard all around the world. People do all this stuff and they all get all family blah and it's hard. And we thought, oh, we'll do something about plan B. We'll do something about this, about that. We had a long old chat this morning. Came lots of nice swear words and we decided on fucking festivities. Um, so yeah. We just want to hear from you. What do you do for your festivities? Do you do something different? Do you disappear somewhere like I do? Um, do you deal with it? Do you wing it? Do you wing it and you feel bad and do you want some help with that? Tell us, let us know. How do you deal with all the festivity stuff that comes along? Swearing is most welcome. We don't mind. Um, tell us, we want to know. Thank you for staying the distance. And we will leave Muriel's contact details in the show notes, just in case you feel that she's someone you want to talk to. Now, don't forget we have a presence on the Trinity, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And of course, the website, www.thefullstoppod.com. And lastly, it's important for us to let you know you are not alone.